You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Hey there, my name is Scott O'Donohoe. I'm one of the pastors of the Village Church that gathers in downtown Hamilton, Ohio. I believe this is episode number 10, recapping our uh, class called Not Our Own that we went through in May of 2021, where we were hoping to cultivate clarity and compassion and an evangelistic community through conversations about gender and sexuality. Uh, Last episode, we kind of ran through lots of terms, uh, some trends, just around gender to get our heads around language, uh, words, phrases, understanding, uh, just even even how to, to grasp the concepts around gender and the way that our culture understands it today. So uh, that being said, we, we identified um, three kind of major components of gender today, biological sex, gender identity, and then gender role or expression. And so what I want to do uh, for the next two or three episodes is just take each of those categories, each of those components, um, and just flush it out a little bit. We're going to talk about the those three components of gender and uh, maybe understand them a little bit deeper on a scientific level, um, but also uh, take a look at them through the lenses of the scriptures as well. Uh, so we're going to start this week by talking about biological sex. Uh, which, just to remind you, it's a, the biological category for all species who reproduce sexually. Male uh, and female are our two options in that. Uh, and this is a, a scientific reality. Uh, sexual dimorphism, the fact that there are kind of two parts uh, to, to biological sex, this is an objective, observable, scientific fact. This is not something that really is up for debate. Uh, all humans are biologically either male or female. There are chromosomes, our internal reproductive organs, our external sexual anatomy, uh, our, our hormones, our endocrine system. Um, these are all the scientific, biological, physiological facets that make up our biological sex. All right, so uh, pretty cut and dry uh, until we uh, interject this reality of intersex conditions. Uh, We defined this last time, but uh, we'll read the definition again. This is uh, a term, intersex is a term used to describe 16 or so medical conditions where a person is born with one or more atypical features in their sexual anatomy or in their sex chromosomes. Uh, You may have heard the word hermaphrodite at some point to refer to somebody who maybe has both um, aspects of uh, male and female genitalia or uh, something like that. That word is uh, derogatory um, at this point, so we don't use that phrase or that word. Uh, we use intersex persons or intersex conditions uh, to refer to that. Now, there's a misconception. Uh, when, when this comes up, uh, there's a misconception that we have around these intersex conditions. The misconception is this, that all intersex folks they're not sure what their biological sex really is, what what they are, what they should be. Um, and so, therefore, it, it challenges, this challenges the, the biblical binary uh, and really the scientific binary of only male 
and female. And it, and it elevates, in some ways, the gender identity uh, that we might have above biological sex as the way that intersex folks and, and maybe the rest of us can and should determine if we are really men or women. Uh, but, but the truth is this, that most intersex folks are unambiguously male or female. In fact, 99% of people with an intersex condition are unambiguously male or female. Uh, Kleinfelter syndrome, Turner syndrome, late onset congenital adrenal hyperplasia, uh, vaginal agenesis, uh, these are conditions that rarely lead to sexual ambiguity. These are intersex conditions that, that don't lead to a confusion around whether someone is biologically a male or a female. There are many others as well. Uh, lots of these intersex conditions that don't often lead to, uh, to sexual ambiguity. Some of the, the side effects, the conditions uh, might be for, for men, they might have thinning scalps or uh, in some cases like an increased amount of tissue uh, in the chest, um, lower levels of testosterone, those sorts of things. Um, or uh, for just males and females in general, they might have uh, different size, larger, smaller external sexual anatomy. They might experience infertility, uh, those sorts of things. But, uh, but in, in every case, most cases, uh, they are unambiguously male or female. Uh, it, it's clear which they are. Um, Emmy Kwama, uh, who's a founder of the Intersex Initiative in Portland, um, she wrote in response to, uh, to the claim that intersex people are, are neither male nor female, uh, she wrote that most people born with intersex conditions do view themselves as belonging to one binary sex or another. They simply see themselves as a man or a woman with a birth condition like any other. So intersex conditions, uh, they really are rare. Uh, anywhere from 0.022% to 1.7% of the population have an intersex condition. And that's a pretty wide range. 1.7% uh, is a significant number of people. 0.022% is much smaller. Um, but the 1.7% the uh, statistic, which is the most popular, if you hear folks talk about intersex conditions, uh, they will probably use that number. But that statistic is as high as it is because it actually includes those intersex conditions where there is little to no ambiguity about biological sex, male or female. Only about 1% of that 1.7% experience that kind of ambiguity, which is about 0.017%, not too far off from that 0.022% uh, number. So Look, now just be, because it's rare, uh, it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. Um, in fact, it, it matters greatly. These are th these conditions, the presence of these, these conditions and the presence of people with these conditions among us, especially in the church. This is a huge opportunity for, for the church to be the church. Um, not just uh, our understanding of gender and sexuality are important here, but our understanding of, of the gospel and of our identity in Christ. Uh, it matters greatly. Going back to the very first uh, episode in this recap, the very first class that we did uh, here in this series where we, we talked about how one of the most fundamental levels of the gospel, the way it shapes this conversation, is that we are not our sexuality. We are not our gender. We're not our, uh, our sexual history uh, or our sexual orientation. Uh, we are certainly not uh, our gender identity or our gender expression, and we are not merely our biological sex. These things are not who we are ultimately. Who we are ultimately 
uh, is we get to be defined by Jesus. We are sons and daughters of God the Father. Christ is the one who identifies us. He defines us above everything else. So this is hugely important, hugely impactful when it comes to conversations uh, about intersex conditions and with um, those folks who have an intersex condition. So we want to recognize uh, intersex conditions as just as the medical community does. They are medical conditions. They are disorders of sex development, atypical differences, variations, uh, those things. So uh, this aligns biblically with this notion of uh, having a received nature of our biological sex, which can be disordered, right? Uh, it doesn't mean that that intersex persons uh, are disordered or are a result of the fall, but it does mean that their genes have been affected, that their their condition is a symptom of the fall. So I want to be clear about then what this kind of means or maybe more along the lines of what, what this doesn't mean. The existence of intersex conditions, uh, it does not mean that there are more than two genders, all right? Gender, uh, if you remember from our last episode, uh, that has to do with our inner sense of self. It is not hinged at all on biological realities or material things. Uh, intersex conditions, has they have nothing to do with our inner sense of self. Uh, intersex conditions have everything to do with, with a biological reality. And so, Talking about uh, intersexuality, intersex conditions, uh, and gender, they're apples and oranges. They have no uh, kind of correlation to one another at all. And so the existence of intersex conditions, uh, it's not evidence at all that there are uh, more than two genders. It's not evidence against it. It's not evidence for it either. Uh, They're on two separate planes of reality. Um, the other thing that existence of intersex conditions, uh, what it doesn't mean, uh, it doesn't mean that there's a third biological sex. Intersex conditions do not challenge sexual dimorphism as we understand it uh, scientifically or as we see it in the scriptures. Um, this biological binary of sex is not challenged by the existence of intersex conditions uh, because intersex conditions, they don't create a third sex. There aren't, uh, there's not some new sexual anatomy or reproductive organ that's produced by uh, intersex conditions. Um, it is simply a blending of the two existing sexes. So th- th- there is not some now new third biological sex that challenges the binaries that we know in science and that we read about uh, in the scriptures. And then thirdly, the existence of intersex conditions uh, doesn't mean that biological sex is secondary to gender identity in determining whether someone is or was supposed to be male or female. Um, All it does is acknowledge that just like every other part of reality, uh, including our inner sense of self, biological sex can be subject to the fall. That's all that means. It doesn't say anything about gender identity or the correlation or relationship between our biological sex or our gender identity. All it does is acknowledge that, man, our biological sex can be subject to the fall just like our inner sense of self can. So uh, I think it's important just to highlight what the existence of intersex conditions, uh, what that existence doesn't mean, because usually um, the intersex conditions, these things come up in the conversation uh, around gender uh, and all these sorts of things to almost validate the fact that the, the binary that we know uh, is no longer there. And the reality is 
uh, it just doesn't support that. It's kind of an irrelevant thing uh, to point to in that conversation or for that argument. Uh, so that's kind of looking at some of the, the scientific uh, side of things when it comes to biological sex. Biblically, um, biological sex is among the first categories for humanity. Uh, God made us male and female. It's right there in the beginning of Genesis. We talked about this in one of our earlier episodes, and this doesn't change at any point in, in Scripture. Uh, this binary continues to hold throughout the Bible. But a common question that comes up around gender and binaries and stuff like that in the scriptures is, well, what about the eunuchs? Uh, if, if we look at Matthew 19, uh, 11 through 12, uh, Jesus here, he's uh, just at kind of the end of a conversation about divorce and, and marriage. And the disciples are basically like, hey, um, it's a really tough teaching to say that no one should ever get a divorce. Who can handle this? Um, it's honestly better that, that we don't marry. And, and Jesus says to them this. This is Matthew 19, uh, 11 through 12. And Jesus said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. So just real quick, again, this this passage, this uh, the, the idea of eunuchs is usually brought into the conversation to challenge uh, the binary of biological sex uh, or gender identity in some way. Um, but the reality is here, this passage about the eunuchs, which is usually the passage brought up, Jesus isn't commenting on gender. Uh, he's not commenting on biological sex, honestly, here. He's actually commenting on singleness. Uh, the context is, isn't it better not to marry? Uh, that's what the disciples ask. And, and Jesus says, yes, look at the eunuchs. He's commenting on singleness. He's not commenting on gender or biological sex. There is, in fact, uh, no one kind of eunuch, just like there's no one kind of trans person. Um, there's no one kind of eunuch that's out there. Um, in the scriptures, it can refer to, uh, to, to people who have no sexual desire, uh, men who are more feminine. Maybe they, uh, they lack some of the secondary male characteristics. Maybe they don't have, uh, they're not hairy, they don't have a, a big chest or a deep voice or uh, any of those things, um, or uh, they may be infertile. Um, so there are different aspects that we see kind of across the board um, for eunuchs as they're referred to in the scriptures and in the ancient world. But there are two things, there are two uh, common characteristics that we do see uh, in every instance when eunuchs are brought up, uh, again, in the scriptures or outside of the scriptures. Um, they are always biological males. Eunuchs are always biological males who don't have kids, either voluntarily uh, because they choose not to by choice or involuntarily by birth, uh, by injury, um, by castration, um, although that could be a choice or something that happens to you uh, involuntarily. But, but they're always males uh, and they always don't have kids. Um, it's why we see eunuchs in a variety of positions uh, throughout the scriptures even, uh, serving as military leaders. Um, they're put there because they're not going to be 
distracted by women uh, when they're on the battlefield. Uh, they oversee harems. That's usually uh, it's a common thing that we see in the scriptures. They're overseeing harems or taking care of women, uh, maybe for important officials or kings. Uh, and, and that's because there's no chance of either them being attracted to the women, no chance of them uh, getting women pregnant because they are infertile. Um, and even eunuchs served as male prostitutes because um, they could they could have sex. Uh, they could uh, perform sexually uh, for and with women. Um, but because they didn't have kids, maybe they were uh, infertile, uh, there was no risk of them impregnating uh, women. And so they served a variety of roles, and yet those are the two uh, most common characteristics. Uh, biological males uh, who didn't have kids. And so what's significant culturally here, kind of uh, starting to bring this back to our passage, these Folks, these eunuchs would have been considered uh, lesser men, unmanly men by cultural standards, uh, lacking um, kind of the, uh, the the virility to have kids, um, or like I said, maybe lacking some of these secondary sex characteristics uh, that might be most evident of the most manly of men as they considered them uh, back in the day. So what Jesus is doing here uh, in this passage is Jesus was actually affirming single men who wouldn't have been considered like super masculine by the culture of the day. Uh, he was saying that their life is good, their life is glorifying to God when they use their singleness for the sake of the kingdom. They didn't need to be married, they didn't need to have kids in order to live for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus here, he was not affirming a transgender identity uh, or ideology or anything like that at all. Uh, Jesus, just like everyone else in his day, knew that eunuchs weren't considered masculine, but they were considered men. They were considered biological males. In fact, uh, literally his whole point on pushing back against kind of cultural stereotypes, cultural masculinity, the devaluing of singleness and all those things, it hinges on him believing that they're actually biological males. Uh, for for this passage to make sense. So that's what's happening here. Um, It it is not at all referring to gender identity or biological sex. Uh, It is about singleness and Jesus affirming single men who would have been uh, seen as lesser than and not as masculine uh, by the culture, which is a a really cool thing uh, that he does. Uh, Another passage that often comes up uh, in the conversation around biological sex is Galatians 3. 26 through 29. And this is what Paul writes uh, here. So he writes this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So that's what Paul wrote uh, in those few verses there in Galatians 3. Some say uh, that this either eliminates the distinction between male and female, saying that there's no longer no male and no female, um, or it eliminates the binary of there only being males and females in Christ. The the Genesis binary is no more, and what has happened in the New Testament, the New Covenant, um, is, is those things are just sort of busted up and opened up to... Whatever, but but this passage, similar to Jesus' words in Matthew 19 about the eunuchs, um, it, it actually loses its significance when we try to make it erase some of the very real distinctions that continue to exist between 
people. When we try to make it say something it's not actually saying, um, even in Christ. So folks didn't stop being Jewish or Greek. Uh, they didn't stop being enslaved or free. They didn't stop being male or female when they became a Christian. That's not what Paul was saying here. Paul was saying that you didn't have to be one or the other in order to become a Christian. Uh, Greeks didn't have to become Jews. Slaves didn't have to become free. Um, and females didn't have to become males and vice versa in order to be made heirs of God's promises, in order to put on Christ after, after being baptized in him. It's actually despite these real differences that there was now a greater identity that they all shared in Christ as heirs. Uh, men and women, slave, free, Jew, Greek, all are now heirs uh, kind of in the line in the promise of Abraham that God has, has made, uh, which is pretty significant. This passage actually elevates women. It elevates slaves. It elevates non-Jews. But that elevation is erased when we make this passage erase the distinctions that lie within it. Um, again, going back to the first week, uh, our, uh, the first episode here in this series, the first class that we had, sex, gender, sexual orientation, these are not the things that define us. Our identity comes first and primarily from Jesus. We are not our own. He has bought us uh, at a price, and, and so we are now his. That is our primary identity, and that is the gospel that is echoed here in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. But when we try to make it speak to uh, some sort of conversation around uh, a lack of binaries or, again, gender identity, those sorts of things, uh, it just it, it, it erases the significance of the passage because we're trying to make it speak into a modern conversation uh, when it's trying to, to have a, an ancient conversation that, honestly, uh, is still a conversation that we're having today and is maybe echoed even in some ways uh, in, in this greater gender and sexuality conversation. Who am I really? What allows me to be in Christ? And it's Christ alone. So that is uh, kind of just some, some conversation around biological sex that uh, a really important component of gender as we understand it today. Um, the next time uh, we are going to talk about gender roles uh, and gender expression. So uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode. Hope it was helpful uh, and we'll see you in the next one.